So as we talk about one-on-one, we talk about the significance of relationships, the starting point is that God is about relationships. He is a relational God. And so God has written a story that should affect our story. You see, God didn't just come down and give us a bunch of facts about what he's like. He didn't do that, right? Are we very moved by facts? Not typically. God came into time, into our world, into human history, and he wrote a story and was personally involved in the details because God cares about relationships and he cares about you and me and he longs for us and invites us to be in relationship with him. You see, God's story should impact our story. You see, we all have a story. Every one of us has a story to tell. And I don't know how you feel about your life, your story today. I don't know if you feel uh, good about it or you're just thinking, you know, I don't have much going on in my story. It's pretty insignificant. Or you might think my story is a complete mess. Or there might be a few of us that think, you know, my story is a pretty big deal. But our life is about stories, and God cares about stories. See, it's kind of built into us. We all love a good story, don't we? We're captivated. We long to be kind of taken into stories, stories where there's intrigue and there's risk and there's tension and suspense and mystery, and we don't know what's going to happen, how the story's going to end. Stories that are filled with heroes and villains, good things and bad, good against evil. And we love to get drawn into those stories. And most of us are hopeful for happy endings, aren't we? And that's why, right, we go to movies, we watch TV uh, shows and series, we read books and we listen to books on Audible and we listen to songs because we love stories. And what do we do on a weekly basis? Most of us anyway, we share and listen to stories with our friends. It's a part of what makes us human. You can even look at the research where um, our brains are wired to remember stories and to be emotionally moved by stories. Facts don't do that. I mean, facts are helpful, but they don't move us. In fact, there are multiple parts of our brain that light up when we're kind of drawn into a story, and it engages our emotions. It grabs us. We know this. We know this. I mean, that's why kids love stories. I mean, not every night, but a lot of nights, my daughters love for me when I tuck them into bed and I pray with them. They love for me to tell them a story, and um, I mean... I usually kind of pick up on some well-known story like Cinderella, for instance. I'm not great that, you know, the stories that I make up are pretty bad. But when I pick up on a great story like Cinderella, I can start pulling the pieces together on that story. And I often bring in other characters from other stories. Like I've got two girls, so it's going to be Cinderella and Belle. And I start kind of changing some of the details to make it a little bit different from the last time. And they love when they're a part of the story. When Reagan and Emmy are engaged in the story, when, you know, what girl doesn't want to be a princess, right? They are kind of wrapped up into it. In fact, last night, Emmy said she wanted to be a king. Reagan was going to be the princess. 
Emmy was going to be the king. I'm like, okay. And so I started building this story. Now, <clears throat> the sad thing with my stories is they, um, I, I mean, you know this as parents, you're always trying to get out the door. And so my endings are not very strong. In fact, they're kind of weak. Sometimes they're lame, but I always end with a happy ending. We love stories. This past week, uh, Reagan, in her elementary class in fourth grade, if you're a part of the San Antonio school system, uh, she's in the Northeast District, they do this uh, Texas Wax Museum deal. And what they do is each, each uh, child in the class picks a figure of Texas history. And then they go home, they do research, and they do... Um, uh, you know, basically craft their little presentation of all the you know, history of this person's life. And they pick out a costume, they get all done up. And then when the day comes, you go to the classroom and they're aligned around the classroom and they are wax figures. And so it's really interesting to see how the kids take on this persona. I mean, some of them are like, like this and there's a little button in front of them that you push and they come alive and they tell the story. Now, uh, uh, Reagan had Juan Seguin. Juan Seguin, this famous Tex, uh, actually uh, Tijano, who was uh, a mayor in San Antonio and had incredible uh, history. Here's Reagan's version um, of Juan Seguin. I think, yeah, she's obviously a much more adorable version of Juan Seguin. But when you listen to his story, and this is part of the deal for kids. This is a hard thing for kids because they memorize all the facts and they want to be able to give all the facts of the person's life. But when you do that, it's easy to be a robot, isn't it? Um, now, Reagan's pretty good at this. So she kind of brought Juan Seguin's story to life. And he had a really interesting, engaging story. I mean, he was filled with ups and downs, where he was raised in San Antonio, and he was you know, in, involved as the mayor of San Antonio. And then there was you know, the, the war between Mexico and the Texas, you know, Texas independence. And there he was at the Alamo. Right before this extraordinary battle, we've been down at Elmo, we've heard the story. He was there, and then he was sent out as a courier to go to uh, Sam Houston to get more troops. And that's why he wasn't dead then, because he was gone. He was in a different place. His life was spared. And then he went on to come back to San Antonio, and then he got kicked out of San Antonio, had to go back to Mexico, and then he came back because he was kicked out of Mexico. I mean, he had all this back and forth, and his desire was to bring Tejanos and Anglos together. And he didn't have lots of success at it. But his life was an incredible story. I like this quote from Josh Turner. He says, life is a story or is a series of punches. It presents a lot of challenges. It presents a lot of hardship. But the people that are able to take those punches and able to move forward are the ones that really do have a lot of success and have a lot of joy in their life. And also have a lot of stories to tell. You see, your life is a story. No matter how you think about your life today, it's a story. And that means you have a story to tell. Now here's the question for all of us today. The question's this. What kind of story are you telling? What kind of story are you telling with your life? Because God, his story is significant, and we need to find our way. We need to find our significance within his story. And that means we should be impacted by his story. And when we are, our life or our story becomes graced, shaped, and defined 
by God's story. And we'll talk about that as we go today. Where we see grace, where our life gets shaped, and we are defined by God's story instead of our little story. Now listen to what Peter says as he talks about the significance of this. This is an amazing thing, Peter says. And in 1 Peter, um, he, uh, he speaks these incredible words. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. And now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for us pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. This is, uh, this, there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Now we can only experience this picture that Peter gives us if we are connected to God's Story, and we see our life fitting into the story of God. Because, you know, if we're honest, as we think about our stories this morning, we all want a better story, don't we? We want a more significant story. I mean, why else do we spend so much time on beauty, fitness, and personal growth? We're pursuing a better story. Now, here's the thing we have to be careful of. If we're pursuing a better story, how are we going about that? I mean, what are we attempting to tell? Because it's easy for us to start building a life or a story without God. And I think we've all done this at various points of our lives. Some of us may be struggling with it right now. But it's very easy to build a story without God. And if we focus our story on the success that we're having or the significance of our career and accomplishments, or maybe it's a story that we're building about our kids, but it's not connected to God, then we're going to find ourselves longing for something more. Now, what's interesting is we try to kind of tell or build these better stories ourselves. We often have to do something. We have to lie. Now, We don't intentionally do that. Sometimes we do. But we have to begin shaping a story that looks the way we wish it was, right, with our lives. I mean, this is exactly why I think each Christmas time we get that letter or we get a couple of those letters from people that we love, but they tell a story about their family where their family has actually become more awesome than the year before, right? Because we love to tell those better stories stories, but we have to be careful not to tell them without God. Now, we've all told, uh, let's not say lies, but kind of uh, improved stories about ourselves. We call this interviewing or making resumes, right? So when we, uh, and I've done this too, you uh, put a resume together, you go out for an interview, and what, are you, what story are you telling? You're telling the best story you got, 
your most important uh, work that you've done, the greatest experiences that you've had, the greatest ads that you've had to your companies in the past. And um, it's not necessarily untrue. It's just a focused story. And that's kind of the nice thing when we're focused on our own story is we get to be the editor of our story, don't we? And we try to take the things that aren't so good, the failures, the things that we don't want people to see, and we kind of remove them from the story. We all want a better story, don't we? And I pursued one without God for a number of years. And I think back to late in high school, all through college, and I was pursuing my own story. I mean, I was impacted by God in the sense that I believe God existed, and that gave a, a certain uh, kind of morality to my life. But I was focused on building my own story, which, I care, which meant I cared an awful lot about my image and protecting what others would see about me. And so the bad stuff, the negative stuff, the failures, I covered as much of that stuff up as I could. We all want to tell a better story. But here's what I found as I was trying to pursue that, pursue that my own way was that my story on its own was not very impressive. I longed for something better, for something more significant, for something more true. I knew that I needed a better story. So we can relate to that. There are all kinds of temptations to tell a story without God. Now, there are also temptations to tell a religious story. And Jesus dealt a lot, of, a lot with this in his day. And this is people who understand the impact of God being in our world and God being in our lives, that he truly is God and that he has a purpose for us as people. But what happens is folks like this begin telling a religious story where they don't need God either because that story becomes about their own goodness, their behavior, their morality, basically trying to show what they deserve or what they should earn before God. That God has to give them favor because of their goodness. And it's easy to get caught up into that, where we go to church, we serve others, we try to be as moral as we can be, we do a variety of religious things, we want our life to look better but we just end up being religious. And Jesus, um, he dealt with all this religiosity, all these religious practices in his day. And here's something that he said in Matthew 6. He was talking about all these things that people have to be careful of with their religion because ultimately religion is not about facts. It's not how you look on the outside. It's about relationship. And he said in Matthew 6, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. Now, it's interesting. Jesus used hypocrite often. And in the Greek language, that was actually... Um, Hypocrites were actors in the Greek theater, and they would take on a role. 
they would take on a character or an image that was not themselves. And so he kept going back and back, back and forth to it, saying, listen, don't be like that. Genuinely pursue God and what it means to be a part of his story. So that's the question this morning for us. What kind of story are we telling? How do we find a better story? How do we begin to understand and receive God's grace and the way he wants to shape our life and ultimately that we're defined in Christ? Well, here's how uh, Peter began that section that I just read. It is by his grace or his mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Automatically, that enters us into a story where we can't make it happen for ourselves. Think about it. By his great mercy, we've been born again. We've been called into relationship with God because of what he has done in Christ. I don't know about you, but I can't raise anybody from the dead. I can't improve the dead things in my life. But God can. And so it begins with grace. If we're going to understand and experience a story of significance that's related to what God's doing in the world, it begins with grace where God meets us right where we are. You see, God's story is a powerful story about grace. Where he's rescued us from darkness and brokenness. And he saved us from our sin and our independence and our rebellion. And he's invited us to be reborn into a new story, a better story. I mean, that's why God's grace. What's that? Okay. Is it going to go out? All right. Let me just turn this off then. There we go. We're back. All right. God's story is not a bunch of facts or theological statements. It's God entering our experience, our world, to show us how he loves us. And he loves us through Christ, Jesus, who came into our world to meet us to pay for our sin, to pay for the broken relationship that we had with God, and to show us, you know what? You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to create a new story on your own. There's a story that you are born to be a part of. And as we turn to God, as we put our trust and our faith in him, and we say, I can't do it, we recognize that we truly were meant to be a part of a bigger story. All right, have you seen the movie or read the book Unbroken? Yes? We've got a few people in here, Unbroken. It's a really powerful story of Louis Zamperini. Um, if you haven't heard the story, I, I suggest, uh, it's, the movie was very engaging. My only, uh, the only bad thing about the movie was it just told the early part of his life. There's a, a whole another part of the story that's very significant. But here's, here's the movie, what you get from that version. So here's this, this young Italian kid growing up in New York, moved out to California, and he was a troubled kid. I mean, just filled with angst. 
He started, uh, I mean, he was just always in conflict. He started, uh, he, let's see, he started smoking when he was five. He was drinking when he was eight. He was always getting in fights. His parents were sure he was going to get arrested and thrown in jail. Um, and finally, his older brother, who was uh, running track in high school, challenged him to start running. He could see that he, you know, running was in the family. That if he was to run and put his focus on running, then he might be able to make something out of his life. And so he started. And another encouragement, well, there's some uh, pretty girls that thought it'd be a good idea if he ran too. So he did. And then when he started having success running, he said, I couldn't get enough of it. I stopped doing all the stuff that was, um, you know, well, he was still a troublemaker, but he, was, he stopped doing the stuff that was negative to his own health and he started running. In fact, he ran so fast that he set the record for the mile in high school, like 421. And then he uh, went through Olympic trials, became an Olympic athlete. Uh, in college at USC, he set the record, collegiate record for the mile. It was like 410. And they were convinced that this was the kid that was going to break the mile record or break uh, four minutes or hit four minutes. And so, um, anyway, he gets drafted. It's World War uh, II, 1940, 41. 41, he enlists, and he goes in, and uh, he's serving in, in the Army. He's a bombardier. And then in 43, his plane goes down, and he's in the ocean for 47 days. Most of the guys on the plane were killed when the plane crashed. There were three guys that survived and two that made it 47 days days in a boat somewhere out in the Pacific. And it's this incredible, engaging story. And as he was able to tell it, he said, you know, I didn't didn't know much about God. I wasn't pursuing God. I believed there was a God. But every day out on that boat, morning, lunch, or noontime, there was no food. They, you know, killed a couple of sharks and ate some birds and did some really disgusting things just to stay alive. But morning, Afternoon and night, he said, we prayed. And we just said, God, please save us. And then on the 47th day, they got saved by the enemy. Now imagine this. You're hopeful that somehow you're going to get out of this, and then the Japanese pick them up, and he becomes a prisoner of war for the next two-plus years. And not only that, Because he was an athlete and because he had a chip on his shoulder, the commander of that Japanese camp decided he'd pick on Louis. And I don't know if it was daily, but week after week after week, he was psychologically abused and physically abused and beat up day after day after day, and he persevered through it all until finally the end of the war came and I mean, imagine living like this. Every day they believed it was going to be their last day, that they would be executed. Every day they woke up and said, this is probably the day. And they made it to the end of the war. And then he comes home and, and, and you would think, okay, now you get the, the fairy tale ending, right? He comes home, he gets married, his life is awesome the rest of the way. No, he comes home, he gets married, and he starts drinking heavily just to cope with all the memories, the nightmares, the pain that he had endured. And so his wife finally said, this isn't going to work. And she was ready to leave him. 
She had come to faith through a Billy Graham crusade. And in 1949, through her encouragement and some others, he went. And God connected with him. And he gave his life to Christ. And from that point on, something began to change. And it wasn't because um, he figured out how to please God. He just figured out that God had met a broken young man like him, that God had been involved in his life all along, and his grace had saved him. His grace had covered all the things that he'd pursued, all the wrongs that he'd done. And then his life began to be shaped by God. Now, the amazing thing is that Louis, early on, then in 1950 or so, he went back to Japan. And a lot of the, 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 the soldiers from the you know, Japanese uh, military were in jail, in imprisonment before, for their war crimes. And he went to a number of them to ask their forgiveness. Now, could you imagine That's grace. That's God shaping his life. And ultimately, Louis being defined, not by what he's done, but what Christ has done. You see, as we think about the story that we're telling, that's where God wants us to begin. To see that we You know, our lives are significant, but our significance comes out of his story when we begin to understand and live into grace and our lives begin to be shaped by his ways. And ultimately, we see that I'm defined by what God has done in my life. Here's um, here's what Peter says. Second chapter. But you are not like that. He's talking about a former way of life where you pursue things on your own, your own independence. Louis did a lot of that. We've done a lot of that. But he says, you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful life. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And so the question for us today is, What kind of story are you telling with your life? You see, there's a better story. And for all of us, just to think for a moment, one day our life is going to be over. And there's going to be a story told about our lives, right? Um, We probably won't have a wax figure of ourselves someplace in a museum, right? (laughs) Amen to that. But there's going to be a story told, and you and I today can influence what story is told about our lives. And more importantly, you and I can share our story and how God has impacted us with others and maybe help them understand their story of faith. You see, every one of us is called to be a part of that in our relationships. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about some practical ways that we can do that, how we can share our stories with others. But for today, the question is, how do we begin to tell that story, to depend on God, and to be courageous? Please pray with me. 